scared the shit so, out of my cat. <laughs> it's okay, baby. Don't worry. It's a... <laughs> she's like walking up to see me and i was like what happened she's like oh god fuck <laughs> every two weeks why <laughs> oh shame oh yeah let me just get the uh episode notes open here really quickly i was um yeah there's a there's a facial expression there, this was a great issue for facial expression or episode for facial expressions to begin with and there's one that just like it's the chef's kiss of great exo squad facial expressions thus far and i've managed it was just i just finished screen capping it so when we get to the appropriate point in the episode i'm going to share it awesome uh well welcome back again everyone uh the i am david hoyt this is exo friends on the elder millennial network the exo squad podcast the only one except the ones that came before it and <laughs> i am joined today by kevin fashami and Lexi DeCorning. Hey, 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 how are you? Hey. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Long, long, awkward greetings that go on forever. Hey, <laughs> hey how are you doing? Exactly. Shaking, shaking hands with like the same person like three times because you have to like go between four people and you forget which one you've already shook the hand with. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I just don't make contact with people anymore. I'm just like, hi. Nope. Well, I mean, that's I, I, for health reasons too, right? That's, <laughs> Keep your corona pause away that's from true. me. You corona's corona's being rats. great for us introverts. Um, oh, just yeah. kidding. I love, no. I love <laughs> when um, I'm on like video calls with people who are clearly like going into the office at work and I say something about wearing masks and they instantly get like oh i'm wearing a mask you know like I, i'm doing the good thing i'm like but you're not wearing one right now are you because i can see you <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually, usually they're people with their own office but like it is it is fun to be like yeah yeah you're doing all the right stuff except when you're not <laughs> i mean uh, yeah ev ev everyone slips Everyone slips. Everyone has to do their own thing. But like, don't try to tell me you're perfect because you're not. Right. I'm right. Not perfect. You're not right. perfect. You're no just doing is. the best you can. Like, do do the best you can, and don't per don't be a shithead about it when you go into public. Yeah. Like, yeah. On on uh, that note of uh, you know, we've all uh been a shithead, or <laughs> we've we've all like uh learned from our ways hopefully i mean i remember like i don't know how long ago we were recording when the vaccine was just being rolled out and like Kayvon and i expressed some reluctance of like oh you know let's like wait and see what happens and you don't want to be the first people but uh i can happily say now we are both vaccinated fully we have turned into 5g towers yeah i've got one, one growing out of my arm right now. where i was injected it's awesome yeah. I've never had, never had better cell service or Wi-Fi ever. <laughs> Unlike that first episode of South Park where the where the aliens put a giant antenna in Cartman's butt. <laughs> <laughs> the anal probe, yeah. Well, like, and, you know, on the topic of being shitty when, like, or, like, not really taking it seriously when it first began, I was one of those people who was in my office, and I remember talking with someone in my office, and I'm like, I'm not worried. I'm a fat, healthy white guy. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna live through it if I get it because I'm fat and my body can burn all those calories for energy to keep me healthy. <laughs> Guess what, fuckers? That's not how it works. <laughs> it is not. 
I mean, if anything, it puts you at higher risk. <laughs> when this first started, I remember like in January and shit, starting to hear about it. And it's like, oh, it's going to be another Zika or another fucking West Nile or one of these other things where it's like, oh my God, the world's going to end and nothing happens. I remember even one of my students asking me about it. I think at like the beginning of February, like, is it okay with the coronavirus? I was like, first off, like, this is a media class, so I don't know why you're asking me questions about virology, but I don't, I, it, from a media perspective, I think like the news is oftentimes uh, prone to, you know, hyping stories that don't really go anywhere. So I'm not that worried. And then a month later, we shut down. Doctor Fashami, well known virologist. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, dude, dude, this is a this is a class on media history. Ask me a question about like I don't know, cuneiform. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, is this? Sorry, to actually do what we're supposed to be doing here Whatever. for anyone who's listening. Thank you. God bless you. Um, is this episode into the heart of darkness part four, the end of season one? It is, yes. Okay. And what a great way to end it, right. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this 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 uh, episode had a little bit of everything. Some action, a little tiny teaspoon of romance just swizzled in there. Mm-hmm. Um, some weird digits, I guess you could say, or like clues that are dropped for things that might happen in future that may or may not come to fruition. Um, yeah. It, it's a real... It, it, if the series had ended here... I would be sad that I didn't get more of it, but it could have been a great end. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a really satisfying conclusion, unlike the conclusion yeah. of season two. Um, well. I mean, season two. It, we'll talk yeah. about that when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to talk about there. Nonetheless, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I really I really like this episode a lot. I think it, like, kind of, it wraps up everything really neatly. Like, it's got a really good pace, too. It feels, you mm. know, in, in, in a good way, it feels longer than it actually is, too, because you're invested and it, it moves really nicely. It's paced really nicely. They pack in a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, it, it's to me, it feels like a really action heavy episode. Mm-hmm. But there are just like a, like you guys have been saying a lot of little moments that are like, ah, God damn, the show's so fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's especially, especially like the Terminator Two thumbs up at the end. It's like, ah. <laughs> uh, the uh, well, as as Lexi, you said, this episode is called "Into the Heart of Darkness," Part Four, defying Olympus. Um, more like exploding Olympus. Yeah, more like, yeah. yes, exactly. Destroying <laughs> I, Olympus. Spoilers. Like we just, we just. Ha- I, I can't remember exactly how tall Olympus Mons is, but thinking about the explosion that happens at the end that you can clearly see from space mm-hmm. and has like, and as Phaeton says at the end, has like destroyed and ruined all the cities across Mars. It's like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I just thought we were blowing up a volcano. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, I just need, I just looked need... it up really quickly. Olympus Mons is sixty nine thousand eight hundred and forty feet above Adam. Uh, I don't know what that means, but like well, roughly that's its height. Uh, I wish I wish I had like one of those. There's this uh, 
YouTube series called Death Battle, and they're constantly like taking measurements of land masses and the explosions that destroy them, so they can figure out like how many kilotons or gigatons of TNT it takes to do that. <laughs> I wish I had that math for this for Olympus Mons. I mean, seriously though. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, so we we we. We start off from from last episode where uh, Abel Marcella had revealed that he was faking it all along, kind of, uh, to get cl- to get farther into this breeding facility, which has come with the added benefit of taking Phaeton as a as a hostage. Um, Phaeton is attempting to provoke Abel's squad into you know giving up because they can't possibly survive this uh jt shoots like the communication console as marsala explains to jt like what he did before and why he did it because jt isn't exactly convinced even though at this point like there's really no kind of doubting it like what possible trick could he be pulling now that uh marsala was faking it and marsala's like i wasn't faking it Everything I said was true. That's that's like one of my favorite moments in the entire series. Is he's just like, yeah. yeah, you guys have treated us like dog shit. <laughs> like you kind of almost don't deserve my loyalty. Yeah. Remember right. the slave. Or just like it's very. Um, I don't want to say logical because that's one of the stereotypes about Marsala and Neo Sapiens that I've been pushing back against the whole time we've been doing this show, but. Yeah, like, it makes a lot of sense. He's like, yeah, that's what I said is true. You've been inhumane. But, you know, uh, I'm not down for genocide. <laughs> so, oh. like, it just makes sense, right? Of, like, if I want to see my people be liberated, then there has to be some kind of, like, I don't know. I hate to say give or take. I feel so, like, weird, these words coming out of my mouth. But, like, compromise, right? Um, or cooperation, collaboration, whatever you want to call it. So... Yeah. I don't know. It just goes to show again, like Marsala is definitely the smartest and coolest. Well, I think <laughs> I think he like correctly because he says like you know like yes, humanity has been terrible to us, but then he, he explicitly says like Phaeton's way is worse. Phaeton's way is genocide, and I think he like mm-hmm. kind of correctly recognizes that there's only two potential outcomes to Phaeton's war. It's either a genocide of the humans, or if the humans win, a genocide of the Neo-Sapiens in retribution for the genocide the Neo-Sapiens have already carried out. And, like, he, it's it's for him, it's this, like, you know, kind of, like, it's instead the third the third option is some way where the two sides kind of learn to work together. And that's, like, where he kind of, he sees that's the only, the only outcome to the Neo-Sapien human question um, that doesn't end in genocide is collaboration and cooperation. Um, no matter yeah, how bad the humans the, have treated the Neo Sapiens in the past, it's the Professor X like ideal of coexistence. Like right. even though we have a conflict, we have to find a way to coexist. Right. And um, I'm actually listening to a podcast about like X Men comics, and in the like 2000s, they started to like expand on. Well, actually, like. Professor X is a kind of extremist in the in his rigidity of thinking and it doesn't really work. He's been trying the same thing for 30 years and he's gotten nowhere. Mm. 
and they start to explore like a some of the terrible things he's done by recruiting child soldiers to fight this battle for him (laughs) and b like he like he's really like driven by ego and c like the younger generation of mutants is like no this doesn't work it's never worked and it can't work the way you're thinking and i wonder if like a more modern exploration of marsala's thinking would reveal something like that i mean maybe and that's that's where i like i mean again you know we talk about it every episode but the show really needs like uh a modern adult updated um take but it's like i mean because the what are the options here you know i mean like the mutant question is like another like really really difficult one because it's like but when you when you look at this this kind of conflict, especially to the point that Phaetons pushed it to, either the Neo Sapiens win and they exterminate humanity, or humanity wins, and like I mean, there's gonna be and we, we and you know we'll see a little bit of this at the end of the show, but there's there is like a push to kind of get rid of them, um, and it's because there's this like this tension, this hatred, and like between both sides, and it's just it's a fucking mess, like. And so I don't know. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not possible, but like, I don't think collaboration's ever really been tried either here. Um, yeah. The Neo Sapiens, you get the sense, are, have always been the kind of junior partners, even even after the supposed, you know, like whatever freedoms they get after the rebellion. It's like they're confined to the the rocky, dusty Mars. They have they don't seem to have the same rights. Um, they're even their soap supposed sovereignty. Like we, the first episode we see like JT Marsh and, and gang, like violating the Sapien sovereignty with the hopes that they're going to come back <laughs> here someday. You know, like it's this, like whatever, whatever collaboration looks like hasn't ever really been tried. And so like for, I think Marsala's process here, the reason why he swears an oath to actually, you know, because he mentions this in the, in the episode, I swore an oath to Exo Squad, I swore an oath to, to this squad, or to Exo Fleet and the squad specifically. He's like a pioneer in terms of trying to figure out what human um, Neosapien or Terran Neosapien coexistence even looks like in the first place, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he seems to be the only one who's really trying. Yeah. Well, it, it, the one that we see. Like, there's probably other Neo Sapiens and humans out there trying because not everyone could be so fucking extreme. Right. 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 They, and, like, like we, I think we've said it before, one of the best things we could probably ever see if they did do a reboot is, like, what did, did every Neo Sapien want to kill every human on Mars during the Neo Sapien uprising? Or were there, like, Neo Sapiens, like, helping to hide? people who got caught in the crossfire like i bet there were i i seeing marsala's capability for compassion Mm. leads me and we see that from other neo sapiens too later leads me to believe that there there is at least a a section of the population that isn't like yeah kill all humans right because ideology and these like these rigid separations between groups of people are you know like i mean they're not universal and like people because people form bonds and friendships across all kinds of barriers and boundaries and supposed social separations and like you know i guarantee you yeah you have all kinds of neo-sapien terran friendships throughout the rebellion era throughout now i mean this is where we like i want i want the neo-nurse spinoff also like who's this like neo-sapien nurse <laughs> and exit fleet she's probably got a boss story too and MVP, MVP of the Exofleet, Neo Nurse. Right? 
the it, it, it would probably it would probably look like you know it, it, the 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 best outcome would look like the humans winning the war because their point is not genocide their point is survival and then after that you know being ever vigilant about the problems that arise between the two groups right. and dealing with right. them in in good in political and good ways right. which you know you know call call me an idealist but i hope that maybe even someday we could reach that idea right <laughs> and this, i mean this is where like you know, professor x aside like marsala's work is critical because like his serving in exofleet during the war, you know, like whenever the war ends, yeah, like survival is the goal. But once survival is achieved, what happens then in the peace? Um, yeah. You need someone like Marcella. Who, yeah, can be an ambassador to both sides. Like I'm a Neo-Sapien, but I fought for the humans. But I also acknowledge what the Terrans did to us. Yep. And yeah, and that's where we get, honestly, I think some of the greatest parts of the show when we get to the end of the war. You know, I don't want to say much now, but it's that's the best. Love it. And and in this scene, I, I always, I always love someone. I always love it when people get called bootlickers. Phaeton, Phaeton calls <laughs> Marsala bootlicker. You lick the boots of your human masters. Uh, I mean, from his perspective, Mars- though, where's the lie? Yeah, right. And, and Marsala's just—he's—he's he's zen. He's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we we'll get through this. It's also a bit hypocritical, though, because as Kevin pointed out, like, um, oh my god, Phaeton was like the one to turn on the neo-sapien cause in the first place right. so like, yep. it's like who's the original bootlicker here come on let let them right to their doorstep <laughs> like, here's here's our here's our leader you can have him please don't shoot me oh, that, which is like a uh, testament to how much of like how above it all marshall really is because he could just look at him and be like that's fucking rich coming from you yeah <laughs> and and we know phaeton's embarrassed about that because mm-hmm. he said in the last, I think the last episode or maybe the episode before that, that is a, that is, that is something I would not like to have generally known. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I um, honestly, I think it's that is it's more than Neo Sapien liberation or all this destiny shit. Like I think this entire war is about him making up for his embarrassment about that. Yeah. Even though JT shot the communications console when Phaeton was like, provoking him typhonus calls on another communications console <laughs> and demands phaeton's release and i there's a there's kind of an exchange back and forth between them and uh phaeton's like no you can't do that I, I, I can't remember exactly what he says he doesn't say like you can't do that typhonus because it would put me at risk but the conversation ends with Typhonus being like, oh, no, you, it's a shame that Phaeton died in this daring rescue attempt. He will always be remembered as a martyr and hangs up the phone <laughs> and sends in the troops after telling him, make sure there's no survivors. Yeah. And which which leads to, like, again, some more interesting, like, s- subtext that you get from scenes like this. There are obviously people who are more loyal to Typhonus than Phaeton. Yeah. 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 Is division within the ranks, definitely. And I wonder I wonder why that is. Because like we don't really see anything that differentiates Typhonus from Phaeton. I mean, except that Typhonus is the immediate commander of these people. 
And throughout history, oh, maybe that's it. This is like one of the key issues that you see is like the ge- generals often tend to be the ones that then wind up wielding power because they wind up being the people that have the direct contact with their like um, immediate officers and oftentimes even the troops. And like that's where the loyalty, like this is like how Napoleon comes to power, for instance, right? Napoleon like has the loyalty of the army behind him because he's the, you know, he's the person that has the most direct contact with them, <clears throat> not the political heads. And so, like, Phaeton, yeah. like, you know, yeah, he he gives orders and, like, stuff, but he doesn't have the same direct contact that his generals do with his troops, so I could see that being the, I mean, this is, like, something you see throughout history. No, that, that, that's a good call. I didn't, I didn't think about that. You're right, because Typh- Typhonus is the general of Mars? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Mars fleet. So it makes sense that his immediate soldiers would be like, yeah, we like him better. Yeah. Um, well, since we we are used to following orders with him, right? Like he's the one that the orders come through. He's the one that because I'm yeah. sure Phaeton probably doesn't manage day to day stuff that like the generals do, and so you're just used to taking Very orders true. from him. He's your he's your superior, really. Yep. Uh, uh Typhonus, Typho- again, Typhonus says, okay, break in, make sure there's no survivors. And we get this, like, th- I, I don't know why it's stuck out of my head, but just one of those little things where th- this door just takes such a fucking pounding. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we have seen, we have seen capital ships blow up under less duress than this door. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Phaeton, Phaeton tries one more time. And he's like, you should surrender now, JT. I offer you a painless death. <laughs> I know. It's just like, that's that, wow. It's real biggie, a Phaeton. <laughs> he's like, you don't understand how this works, do you? <laughs> he doesn't know how to bargain. He's like, okay, yo, painless death. Come on, this is better than nothing, right? Like, Would you like to get in the mind scanner again? I can make sure you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so the able squad, they, they, they look for a way out and they're like, Oh, escape through the ventilation shaft. And they go into the biggest ventilation shaft <laughs> ever. Right. <laughs> like it is, it is less a ventilation shaft and more a hallway, right. which I get, if you don't really have any space limitations, why wouldn't you do that? Just go big. Me. You're right. Like you don't have to duck or crawl in them or anything; you just walk through right. them. I bet there's like some legitimate like physics reason why you shouldn't do that, but yeah, to my simple, smooth brain, it makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you got to pump a lot of air around, so right, you want to have a lot of space to pump the air around. So, but I just I don't know. I love the whole like um, ventilation shaft trope in literally all fiction, where it's just like we need to escape it's or so infiltrate good. or do something. It's like there's always ventilation ducts to get through. <laughs> I'm like in my day to day ventilation ducts like, that ventilation ducts are like the most inaccessible. Like it's like I can't I can't get in here. What <laughs> ventilation ducts that are big enough for people? Right. Like like I'm looking at I'm looking at my air register right here in this room. I could maybe fit my foot in that. <laughs> right. I know. And it's like you have me. There's a shot in this episode of like Phaeton and Marsala standing shoulder to shoulder upright in the. So, like, what? Like, we're talking like 10, 12 feet here. Yeah. Uh, that's really the, one of the more unrealistic parts of the new Spider Man games is when they like crawls through vents all the time. I'm like, why are all these vents perfectly sized for Peter Parker? Right. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway. You know, the most unrealistic thing besides Spider-Man. Yeah, that too. Um, the radioactive college yes. student. Uh, Typhonus floods the shaft with toxic volcanic gas. And of course, you know, with as as any good Neo-Sapien would tell you, our lungs are superior to yours. Can't you breathe sulfur? <laughs> Phaeton's so fucking smug about it too. He's just like, enjoy, this is, this is one of those enjoy moments. slow suffocation. I've got a. Um, I've awesome... actually got a screen cap of his face here. Um, let me just figure out where to put that folder, but I'll post it in the uh, Discord. It's this this episode. The who who who's ever did the animation for this one? It's just Chef's Kiss in terms of just fantastically bizarre facial expressions and just really over the top ones. And Phaetons is definitely like top, um, top amongst them. But the 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 danger the danger for this passes relatively quickly because they find an exit out onto like a very convenient like outcropping cliff face that they can all stand on, um, and they get out there and they're safe from the volcanic gas. And uh, Marsala, Marsala is like holding a gun on Phaeton, and Nara walks out and like falls over because she's almost passed out, which distracts Marsala. Phaeton kicks him over the ledge with the classic like cartoon hanging on by one hand, <laughs> and he's he's about to shoot Marsala when JT like tries to take him down. And Phaeton just throws JT around. Oh, that is a good facial expression. Right, okay. <laughs> he's just too good. Hands on his hips. He's just like, yeah, human. Bet you wish you could breathe sulfur. Even Marsala, he's like, oh, no. It's <laughs> just perfect. Uh, Phaeton the, the, throws JT around like a fucking ragdoll. He's just like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Instead of just shooting him, uh, but uh, so Marsala Phaeton leaves Marsala hanging off the ledge and is about now about to shoot JT, but Nara shoots him in the back and throws him off the ledge with it, and we get to hear his terrified ah <laughs> as he falls as he, into the misty into the abyss. Yeah, Quick. it's not really clear what's down there below Olympus Mons or whatever. But. Likely a pillow factory because we're going to see him again, and he's like just fine in ten minutes. He's he's fine. It's well, yeah, like I, like maybe like he, he there's another random outcropping, and he managed to like grab onto it. And Neo Sapiens are strong enough that that kind of move at terminal velocity wouldn't just rip your fucking arm <laughs> off your body. Oh, they are actually very amazingly made. Apparently, yeah. Very tough. Very tough. Elon well, Musk. They can breathe sulfur. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. How does like do they do they have like one eighth the oxygenic requirements that we do, and they just breathe in it? I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, you imagine that they're engineered to work in hostile environments. So yeah, I mean, like yeah, I expect that yeah. they are because like we see Marcelo withstand vacuum, right? Like. Yeah, very easily. Yeah. He just like sucks in a big breath, and he's like, "I'm fine." Yep. Let's, yeah, let's go on me. Can we get out of here? <laughs> uh, I think it's Rita who says, "Like, good shot, Nara." And she's like, "Not really. I was aiming for his gun." <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, six of one half dozen the other. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fine. It's fine. He was he wasn't useful as a hostage anymore, anyways. Um, 
Which is like, I, why, the, honestly, just that point. So like we're going through the ventilation shafts with him. I was thinking, it's like, well, he's, because I think he says something about how, like, you'll regret this decision to Marsh. And, like, it's like, well, why don't are you, why don't you just shoot him now? Like, Typhonus doesn't give a fuck about him. Like, he's not a good, just, like, kill him and be done with it. Yeah. Right, right, and they know Typhonus is, is being a shithead about it because he just told them on the yeah, phone. He's like, I'm <laughs> usurping you, Phaeton, which also is like dumb move on Typhonus's part. Like, it's like, oh, it'd be like, oh, yes, Phaeton, we'll definitely get you back. Like, totally, man. And then behind the seat, just in case Phaeton somehow miraculously survives multiple uh, extremely traumatic events, um, to put it politely, <laughs> like falling off a mountain and being blown up by a volcano. You got your like ass covered. Like, listen, dude, I did everything I could to get you back. My bad. Like, sorry, you almost died. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it's again, like, why again. are you tipping your hand right up front? And just be like, yeah, dog, I'm gonna be surfing you. No, no big deal. Typhonus Ty- Ty- Typhonus is very arrogant. I think that that is a easily one of yeah. his one of his villain traits. Mm-hmm. Um, a very human emotion, you might say. Right, yeah, right. it's almost as mm-hmm. if they do have emotions. It's almost but he's as if also like real people. Fuck. He he's also the one who's always saying like it's illogical. Why would they come here with only one ship? Right. Well, there's. I'm just gonna put this out there. I've encountered many people on the internet, mostly of the man variety, who are like, "This is illogical. I use rationality. I love the Enlightenment." And then you know, just devolve into like completely hysterical, emotionally based. <laughs> rhetoric all the time and like that's not a bad thing right i think everyone has their rational and their emotional yeah. aspects and like those two things are not mutually exclusive it's just funny right to see like <laughs> the species that is supposed to be 100 percent logic based succumb to emotion and irrationality like all the time right well ha- hashtag no tall men <laughs> <laughs> i mean but all of that is tied up I in have nothing their... against tall men <laughs> <laughs> Let it be known. Sorry. Came on, go for it. Oh, you <laughs> I mean, but like all of that is tied up in this whole sense of like, it's not only that they're logical, right? It's that they're not creative, generally unemotional and all the rest of it. And like, this is like some colonialism shit, right? Like you have to, this is like the invention of race kind of stuff where it's like, we're dominating this group of people who have obviously have like feelings um and brutalizing them enslaving them and doing terrible shit to them so then let's invent stories about how they're not really creative and they're not really like they they don't have aspirations or emotions so like fuck it we can do whatever we want to them because they're not going to mind like they don't really have like hopes and dreams and joys in the same way that human beings do so it's fine if we consign them to terrible rocks to just dig out ore for us or whatever like it's all just a this is like the whole thing and like on the neo-sapien end of it like you know people tell you this enough for generations and generations you start to just believe like yeah mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have emotions i don't know what a joke is it's just yeah. true sorry yeah it's... no no, no I, mean, I i don't have anything to add to it it's just one of those like yeah you're yeah. right <laughs> well done tall man there you go uh... thanks short lady <laughs> Uh, it, it able it, at at this point they're like okay what are we gonna do and uh, they see this uh, cargo bay built into the side of the volcano above them above the cliff that they're standing on and they're like well I guess we're just gonna have to climb up and Able Squad exerts their 
expert Olympic level free climbing skills and just, oh my God, right? And just scales the mountain. Um, and we of course have the trope where someone falls off and someone catches them. In this case, it's Nara and Marsala, which is probably, you know, like I'm sure Marsala could have caught anyone just fine, but like, you know, it's, it's those two. So it's like, just kiss already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he like, he like catches her, swings her back up, like on, onto a ledge. And then she does, she like leans in, like she's going for the kiss and he's just like, Ugh. yeah. And then she like, then there's a shot of her face and she's just like blushing because he saved her. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's both like sickeningly sweet diabetic kind of thing at the same time as I'm like, yeah, just kiss already. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just do this. <laughs> we, we can never make love. And Nara's just like, mm, I bet we can figure out <laughs> yeah. a way. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it also uh, like, it, it it this is this is one of those great scenes to show like just how big Neo Sapiens are. Marsala's hand is the size of Nara's entire torso. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why she wants uh, him. Yeah, um, big hand, big big hands, big feet. What else is big? Nothing. Right. I'm like a Ken doll. <laughs> I mean, or is he though? And actually, yeah, like, I've got yeah. the I've got the interaction here, and it's her that she just puts her hands on him. And he's just still, like, kind of mm. half-hanging. He's got his, like, one arm up on, like, the overcrop above him or outcrop above him. And she just, like, puts her hands on his chest, closes her eyes, like, makes like she's going to kiss him, and then just backs off inexplicably. She turns her head away and just, like, walks back and blushes. I mean... No. No one must know. <laughs> Sorry. And then he's just, like, very wistfully, like, oh, climb safely, Nara Burns. Like, oh my god, you do. Just do, yeah. You're, you're hooked up. You're hooked up through brain magic all the time. You obviously know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you think they have to drift like like a Jaeger from? I was just uh, thinking about that. From Pacific Rim. Yeah. Do they have to like sync up? Like, I mean, so we're gonna talk about this here in a minute when we get to JT Marsh's E frame and Pronsky's E frame here uh, toward the end. Uh, but like, if the E frame seemed to also pick up. Um, bits of their personality and imprint on them. So I'm sure like, even if it's not like as like explicit as drifting where you're like totally like in somebody else's head, it's like they have to be somehow like at least empathically aware of each other's feelings. Yeah. I'm sure they are uh, at, at the very least, something like mm. that. Um, they, 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 they scale the cliff and they get to uh, the cargo bay to steal some Neo Sapien E frames because JT apparently learned from Napier how to do that. And uh, they get in there and there's some Neo Sapien technicians working there. And one of them throws a <laughs> wrench at them and the wrench like totally obliterates a wall, but the wrench is fine. And <laughs> because it's a Neo Sapien sized wrench, so it's just a giant hunk of metal. Right. Amazing. And uh, they start, they start fighting. Um, so one of the neo the neo sapien that i think the one that threw the wrench like gets in an e-frame that he was working on so it's not quite like full strength and uh we get this good fight and eventually uh that that e-frame corners i think rita and nara and yes. marsala picks up the wrench gets on back of it and just starts bashing the fusion pack <laughs> But not right. not before and, he does a little bit of like super obvious exposition so he's like holding the wrench in the air as this i don't know it's 
one of those ridiculous things where you're like, your friends would be dead right now, you idiot. Right. He's like, the only way to defeat it is to hit this, like, nuclear thing on the top. Bang. Like, we get it. Just fucking hit yeah, it. Do it. Thank God it's susceptible <laughs> to wrench damage. Also. Yeah, well, that's why I'm saying the wrench is the deadliest weapon in the Neo Sapien arsenal. Right. <laughs> also, speaking of great, uh, um, great facial expressions, also that Neo Sapien pilot. Um, yeah. Because, like, also, the, the two mechanics have the coolest hats. Um, the one's got his, like, hat backwards, yes. and the other one's got, like, that, like, hat with the bill that, like, just, like, flips up toward the front, like, Super 80 style. Yes. Yeah. No, they just they, look cool. They've, they've got good fashion in the Neo Sapien. Oh, absolutely. Um, Here's a... Yeah. Well, also, also he gets this look of fear on his face because, like, he, I, it, it seems like he loses control of the E frame and he's like teetering <laughs> on the edge of the cargo door, Somehow. and Stone Cold Rita Torres just fucking blasts him <laughs> off, <laughs> and we, and he falls into the same abyss Phaeton did and explodes. Like he must have missed the yeah. pillow factory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think do you think Phaeton saw him on the way down? <laughs> it's just like, oh shit. Probably. There goes Greg from engineering. <laughs> Not Greg. <laughs> All right, what about Greg. our weekly what about our weekly Parcheesi match, Greg? <laughs> it's Phaeton and Greg. Like it's like a buddy spin-off show. It's just like Phaeton and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> the most normally named DSA yeah, Greg. It's like Typhonus, Draconis, Phaeton, and Greg. Uh, uh, the Able Squad finds their suits in this cargo bay through cartoon coincidence. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, Alec, Alec theorizes that they're trying to disassemble their E-frames and steal any engineering secrets they might have. Um, and uh, JT's like, oh, great. This gives me an idea. Let's blow up the volcano. Yes. <laughs> Like, all right, JT, I, I like where your head's at, but uh, how? And they they get to they they explain the plan as they're going, and um, one of the one uh, just a like one of those nitpicks about animation, like all of the close-ups at this point of their e-frames look really cool, but whenever they zoom out just a little bit, they just kind of look like colored blobs, right. and they lose all their detail. <laughs> It's not even that far away. It's just like JT goes from like this battle damaged, like fine line detail rendering of his E-frame to like, it's just blue with the vague outline of it. And I think it even loses like the red colors of his missiles and everything. And animation's hard. I get it. But like. (laughs) They they spent, they spent the animation budget on the facial expressions. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we don't have any more time. We don't have any more time to draw these goddamn e-frames. Just pull this blob and get out of here. Oh. Uh, the JT starts to really explain the plan as the rest of the squad takes out takes all of their ammunition and stuffs it in their cockpits. And I guess that's to like prevent the lava from getting to it right away. It's not the, really the, clear. I'm going to be honest with yeah. you. I was like, I don't understand this plan, but it says that whatever, this is the only like, way it'll detonate the fusion the right. packs or something. But yeah, it and so they give the they give the final orders to like have their e frames walk out into the lava, 
and you know we get to see Brodsky. He's like, oh man, I love that E-frame. And um, then fuck uh, JT doesn't go in because he's like, we need to fly out on my E-frame. And as soon as everyone else is going to the go into the lava pool, fucking Phaeton shows up, and we get this fantastic fight between yeah. him and JT. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good like end of season one boss fight. Yeah, and JT is besides skill level is outclassed by Phaeton's E-frame. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, he, he even like direct hit with his biggest missile, and Phaeton just turns around and is like, "I I see you have a new appreciation for Neo Sapien engineering." <laughs> um, I remember there's, there's a. Oh, so I was just gonna say, like the first time we watched this, like the first time for me as an adult watching this particular episode, actually being like a bit tense because you don't know. You're like, okay, they're probably not gonna kill the two main characters of the show, but anything could happen. I don't know. Right. Fuck. Yeah. What? Yeah, and it is. It's they a really well choreographed, like animated fight scene. I think. And and dominance in the fight scene goes back and forth. Like mm. there's. There's moments there when you're like, oh shit, Phaeton's gonna die. There's also moments where like where Phaeton stabs through his E-frame where he's like, oh man, if he was two inches to the left, JT would totally be dead. Right. right. Um there's there's other great there's a bunch of great scenes in this where like Phaeton like I think he like shoots JT's E-frame and he starts spinning around and all JT can see is like they get his point of view of the world just like going in 360 while we see the reflection of his face is like oh shit i'm in trouble <laughs> on the uh windshield of his e-frame um jt like dunks uh phaeton in the lava and we get another good real facial ex- good facial expression like almost like phaeton isn't isn't quite sure that his e-frame can take this because <laughs> he's like oh shit oh shit <laughs> And um, he flies out bragging about heat-resistant Neosapien ceramics. And uh, he then, like I said, he stabbed through JT's E-frame and he dips JT's wing in the lava, which immediately just melts. It's like butter. And hmm? It's like butter. Yeah, (laughs) it not only melts, like combusts, like it catches on fire. Um, and, uh, but <laughs> Bronsky, Bronsky's like, oh shit, if I only had my frame and like, there's that magic like connection between him and his E-frame, mm-hmm. it comes out of the lava, shoots Phaeton's windshield with the grappling hook and breaks his windshield. And, uh, then JT takes his flaming wing and tries to like jam it in Phaeton's face, but he gets out of the E-frame just in time. Um, JT pursues Phaeton uh, while Phaeton's out of his E-frame and he's got him cornered and did you guys like you see the like smirk that Phaeton like the smirk and the nod that Phaeton gives JT like almost like okay just just do it like I'm ready bring it yeah and and uh, he's stopped by the other E-frames no not the, the other E-frames don't explode. Lava starts yeah. to pour in. And he's got to get out of there. Oh, I, re- right, cause, cause- I, re- I remember what happened. Bron- Bronsky's E-frame blows up first. 
like is it sinking? He set the yeah yeah he set the timer wrong. <laughs> of course he did. Did he set or, the timer wrong, or did the e-frame like this was the other thing? I was like, okay, I don't know if this is just the writing or the animation or whatever, but or maybe this is really clever. Like the e-frame because it has this weird psychic link to Bronski, who at this stage, like the rest of Able Squad, is on that little like floating elevator platform right yeah. they're going up the center of the mountain or whatever on the inside getting shot at and like bronski's looking down and that's when he has that like oh if only i had my e-frame and then i think there's a shot of him like the back of his neck fizzling with electricity and then the like e-frame comes up as you say like shoots phaeton with the grappling hook and then starts to like sink back down right and then the counter begins to explode the music munitions is that what you're talking about there's like yeah Timing is yeah. weird, right? Yeah. We, we, so they, with the, but then there's like this, and maybe we don't see the timer on Bronski's, but Bronski's suit explodes, which is, I think, the impetus for lava flooding the chamber, allowing Phaeton to escape. Yes. Mm. And then the, the platform, the floating platform that they're on starts to fall because like the hover thing is damaged jt catches them like will powers this is where we get to like i think the best facial expression in this entire episode so i'm going to post first that facial expression and then i'm going to post another um another image that just puts it into the perfect context so first here's jt And then yeah, he's yeah. in his e-frame. He's looking really serious. He's like trying to catch. Oh, I, uh, I like, I like, I, I, I know this. It's, it's kind of rough to hear to just hear people talking about the pictures. But if people are watching the episodes, if you look at this scene, you can see the holes where Phaeton stabbed into his cockpit. Yes, yeah, I like that. Now, now get a good look at his face. Here is the other context image that just makes me. It's just, it's perfection. He's like, how I saw this was like, oh my god, he looks exactly like this individual. And it should be loading there. Oh <laughs> it's the exact same face, I swear to God. <laughs> but you mentioned Elon so, Musk so earlier, Kate, and I was like, oh yes, here we go. Foreshadowing. Kate, just, just posted that famous picture of Elon Musk getting high with Joe Rogan. <laughs> It's just like he's making the exact same face. It's perfect. It's got like one kind of villainous eyebrow arched and like kind of it's like a weird like pout with the chin thing going right, on. Right, right. Describe that. But there's like a certain sense of almost like smug self-satisfaction, especially on the Musk side of it because he's a gigantic douchebag. But uh, oh, it's perfect. I love it. Okay. Uh, uh, J- JT like uses his willpower to to as as his as his e-frame feet are getting consumed by lava to give one final push to get them out of there and uh they fall on the i don't know what the technical term for the top of a volcano is but they fall on the rim of that yeah that and, sounds right um, right i mean i'm not a geologist it's an amazing <laughs> it's amazing though because like this round floating platform thing like jt like pushes you know like shoots up through the top of the volcano like pushes them the disc flies and it looks like obviously it was going to and it does like just fly out the top and like go down the whole side of olympus mons but everyone somehow manages to jump and land on their feet 
on the rim, like right. off of this enormous flying metal platform. <laughs> um, they, even Bronski here, <laughs> he shows off his amazing acrobatic skills. Like everyone, yeah, yeah, everyone rolled like a natural twenty on that fucking jump. It was amazing. Uh, the, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, at the, and at this point, JT, um, get, puts on a helmet. And he's the only one with a helmet for some reason. Uh, everyone else just has these little rebreathers and sends his E-frame into the lava. And we, it's basically the end of Terminator 2. The, you know, if, if the thing had thumbs, it would have stuck it up in the air as it was going into the lava. <laughs> And we see the rest of the E-frames minus Boronsky's that already exploded. And they start exploding. And, you know, of course, they're at the top of this volcano and they're like, well, guess this is where we die. Yeah, doesn't Masala give like a really, I don't know, well, not a long speech, but like a compelling little speech about like, oh, you know, this is the beginning of something but it's the end of our like part in the war and yeah, it's yeah, like I this think, really solemn says, moment yeah he has he has like this solemn speech where he says like the bat we the battle has been won for us but the war is over for us and mm. he like looks up wistfully into the sky it's like it is a little thing we lose compared to the stars and um and then he's like wait a minute that star is moving and it's Kaz and Maggie. They show up just in time to save them. Woohoo! Yay! Hooray! Ha- happy ending for everyone, <laughs> except Phaeton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it happens very quickly. They, 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 they save Abel Squad and they get back to Moonbase IO. And Winfield is debriefing JT. And he has like this very dramatic he's like, there's no way we can win the war now as we are after what happened with Marcus. You, J, JT, you have to go and negotiate with Jonas Simbaka of the dun, Pirate dun, Clans. Dun. And uh, then it cuts to the actual final scene where Phaeton is standing in like this really dramatic looking like new E-frame that's like, to me, it's almost like a medical device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he like turns melded. Around right onto his body right is what it looks like he's the aluminum monster yeah, it from, looks... um, it's always sunny <laughs> <laughs> i i don't I, I don't think i've seen that one but uh... d in her back brace that's what they call her oh 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 no i have yeah. seen that then. yes that's exactly what it is uh <laughs> he um he he's uh, he's obviously injured like he has like these bubbling scars down his face and I don't know if we can see like the rest of his body at all, but he he's standing before Typhonus mm. and he's like, you know, as punishment for your insubordination, I'm going to basically banish you and send you on this almost impossible mission where you are to hunt down the traitor Marsala, kill JT Marsh and kill Admiral Winfield. And uh, it's like three of the easiest targets in the universe, obviously. Right, <laughs> one of the best, one of the best E-frame pilots in Exofleet, one of the other best E-frame pilots of Exofleet, and the leader of Exofleet. Think <laughs> Good you luck. can do that for me, Typhonus. Yeah. Think you can do that? Can you accomplish that? <laughs> and uh, that's how season one ends. Really great. I think awesome, yeah. awesome way to end the season. Yeah. 
It's got, it's got like a nice rhetorical circle, not rhetorical, like narrative circle, but going back to the pirates. It's like, so this is why we introduced the pirates. You have to go back and out, get these people. These really bad guys that we hated at the beginning now have to be your allies to fight these other really bad guys who are exterminating you. Chekhov's pirates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's as far as like 90s kids cartoons go, this is top caliber narrative. Yeah. It was a great episode. I mean, like, this stuff we're making fun of, like, their amazing jump off the platform and whatnot. But, yeah, it was a really fun, intense um, episode to watch. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's, that's it. That's yeah. about it. I'm super I'm super excited to get to season mm. two. And uh, I can't wait to start that because that, that's when that's when this show really starts to get its sci-fi chops. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, go from, we go from really cool, like, war space opera to like ooh now we're getting into the good stuff yeah. like um yeah. the uh one 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 sad piece of news so one of the, one of the original show creators Michael Edens passed away uh 2 days before we recorded this episode so oh, man. condolences you know I doubt his family listens to this but yeah. you know for all the fans out there who would care uh know that that has happened and wish his family all the best um thanks for thanks to your thanks to him for bringing us such a great yeah. show yeah yeah like really kind yeah. of foundational and important show in a quite a few people's uh you know media experience yeah 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 i'd actually i'd be really interested if you know for those people who are listening like just what you remember again because i'm the only person on this podcast you never watched this as a child and like i just kind of wonder like what people remember taking away from this as children Mm. what kinds of things that you learned or didn't learn like maybe it was just about cool explosions and cool extra frames or whatever like yeah i just i'd be kind of interested to hear from folks like what did you take away from this and how was this different from other shows you were watching so i know i've spoken to obviously dave and came on about this a lot but yeah Yeah. it's interesting to hear from other people about that We'd love to hear from you. Please write in. Yeah, he was he was the executive story editor for 39 episodes of the season, as listed on IMTV, as well mm. as tons and tons of other credits in lots of good stuff, like the Beetlejuice cartoon. Oh, wow. mm. um, Sonic Underground is pretty good. Wing Commander Academy was good. Some G.I. Joe stuff. Just all seemed like an all-around uh, prolific uh, guy in the cartoon yeah. industry. And a lot of a, a lot of stuff that uh, entertained me for a very long time. Chip and Dale's Rescue nice. Rangers, like wow, uh, what a what yeah. a career! Yeah, yeah. Well, hats off. Rest rest, rest in peace, Michael. Yeah. Uh, and on, on that note, I think we'll call it call it for the day. Uh, yeah. You guys got anything cool you want to plug this time, or? Oh gosh, no. Sorry. Not really. No, <laughs> no that's okay. That's it's okay. the end of the semester. My brain is fried. Yeah. Uh, I have to remember uh, how to be a human being again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to remind ourselves every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, as always, everyone, stay safe, get vaccinated, and all that jazz. And uh, we'll see you next yeah. time. Get your own 5G tower. I promise you it's worth it. Your service and signal will never, is never, never have been better. Beep boop. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.
Squad.